can you confirm? Can you confirm? Who's your favorite lobby? Like, who do you think is like, like if they were like, hey guys, we're gonna stop doing this because this just feels wrong. But not that they'll ever do it because there's just too much money involved in like having corp, like, you know what I mean? Like, uh, uh, the Liberal Party is it's a corporation unto itself, which sure. is funded by other corporations, right? Like through lobbyists and. I whatnot. think I like Big Milk. I think they did a really good job tricking us all into thinking that we needed milk uh, in the early eighties. Yeah, the dairy lobby's good, eh? Because mm-hmm. uh, you know what they you know what the new one is with the dairy lobby, the dairy lobby has started to take to court um, the use of words like almond milk because that can't be milk. You can't. <clears throat> so, yeah, that's smart. I guess it isn't milk. I don't know. Hmm. Well, I mean, the argument from the dairy milk people or the dairy milk lobby lawyers, if you will. It's essentially like if it ain't got a teat that you got to squeeze, it ain't milk. Like lamb's milk is fine, goat's milk is fine. Get it? Yeah. But you can't, you can't. There's no tit on an almond is what essentially yeah. they're getting at, and well, that that's in front of a court, man. Like that's that's gonna be something that might take years and years to resolve, but eventually they might just have to call it like almond milk or something right like you know what i mean some companies already do they just avoid oh, the whole it. thing and they call it like almond breeze or whatever uh soy milk might not get a lot more time so well it says right in the definition that it must be produced by the mammary glands of a mammal so obviously that fucks soy and okay almond. so this is the thing you've done a google search which has been probably well-funded by the good folks at Dairy Milk Lobby Lawyers. <laughs> exactly. To make it look like it's legit. And it's probably on a legit page because, like, they have Wikipedia. spent money. They have spent money. Like, you know what I mean? If you are the member of provincial parliament for Strathroy, London, where there's a lot of dairy farms, uh, there's a good chance, like, you've had, like, Nielsen money come to you to kind of be like, hey, man, uh, you know, you know. You know where you know where all milk comes from, right? Well, <laughs> like it's kind of like Webster's Web Merriam Webster um, says uh, fluids secreted by the memory glands of a female for nourishment of their young, <clears throat> uh, which is very vague. Um, but it does say a, a food product produced from seeds or fruits, so they have that in there too. Guess who's been bought off by the uh, the ultra left? Uh, hippie quinoa milk crowd. The quinoa <laughs> money. The queen of quinoa money's gone to Merriam yeah. Webster's. There you go. Well, actually, you know, uh, ketchup. You know, like tomato ketchup, right. mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. Heinz actually owns the word ketchup, like K E T C H U P. So that's, that's why you correct. see things like catsup and stuff like that. Yes, sir. See. The the vague world of things. You know what we don't do around here, though, John? We don't milk our audience, right? <laughs> we should. We should. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, guys. Come on. Uh, Suckle up to the fact check army teat, I guess. So what else is new? What else is new in the lobby world or in the world of stuff? Where are we at? Like 75, 100, 200? I forget. I keep losing track. 72? 77? What's today? What's today? Today is episode 
25 of season two of Can You Confirm That? This is, like I said last week, our quarter quell, if you want to go there. Uh, so, yeah. So, I don't know how we want it. 75 is three quarters. We're almost at a century or almost at 100. I don't know how we're going to break it down in the long run. But number, episode 75, that's pretty cool, I suppose. Hey? Yeah. It's like... Assuming we mile marker things in 25s. You know what I mean? Yeah, quarters. Yeah, if we're all about the 25s, we're good. If we were measuring in the 15s, we'd be hitting another one. So that's kind of helpful. Well, uh, I think uh, as you, know. you grow, you have to get bigger. So now we're in the 25s. Eventually, we'll be in the 50s. Right, right. Well, yeah, I guess. I mean, how do you think the Simpsons count themselves right now? <laughs> By seasons. Yeah, yeah. Okay, sure. But do you think they also like kind of rack up like the idea of like when okay. ten <laughs> per ten episodes? They might be like, "Hey, that was a decent stretch." I don't know. No way. No way. Ten episodes. Twenty. Twenty-five. I mean, like we judge on Lark. No, I'm saying the creatives involved, though, right? It's not like a. Yeah. Cre- it's maybe Matt Groening sits back and he's like, "You know what? For what it's told, the last fifty weren't so bad." Right, but I would imagine the writers in the writers' room are kind of looking at it like uh, the last ten were okay. Let's, let's maybe like beef it up for the next ten. Like I would hope they're not sitting on their laurels. Like, hey man, I wrote that episode in season six, uh, episode eleven. People still make memes of it. You know what I mean? Like the, that guy's still in the writers' room, just like, don't I, you worry. <laughs> I think it does have to get like that though, because we do that with SNL. Like we say the Eddie Murphy era or whatever, right? Yeah, but they keep bringing in new people, right? Like they have new writers, new cast because they imagine that's what, imagine SNL still kicking around now, forty years later, with the same people, and we've just aged with them for forty years, and now you got these old like Joe Piscopos running around <laughs> like seventy, eighty years old on set. Like, give me a break, right? Chevy Chase. It could be interesting, actually. You know what? I wouldn't mind seeing that. I'm going to put this out there. What I'd like to see for Lauren Michaels' final episode, because he's put out that he's kind of like looking for his person to tap to take over kind of thing oh or that he would leave around 50 season 50 where he'd be kind of call it um you know what would be really fun to see for his last episode like all of the oldest living dudes who are on like the earliest seasons just doing like they just do an episode it's not sure. like they not like they come in and do cameos or whatever but like they are the cast for that night right like that could be interesting I think that would be interesting. Because how um, else would you do something different on SNL, right? Like for the last. Born. Yeah. Right. You just have a night where like Chevy Chase and like you know Martin Short are hanging out, and I actually don't know if Martin Short was ever a cast member, to be honest. So how how did you make out today? Did you uh, did you uh, venture on the roads in Ontario today? Uh, no, actually. I kept it safe. They told me to stay home, so I kind of just said, okay. <laughs> it's, like, pretty bad out there. Uh, I had a bird's-eye view of, like, a major artery road, mm-hmm. as well as, like, a side road, and then, like, my road, as I'm, like, looking out, like, my, my window. And I'm kind of... Even the major artery road's not looking so clear, Right. Side road is looking like okay. It's you know it's 
as long as those buses keep moving through, lanes will be made. Like, it's not hard to snow drive, right? Like, I know for some people it's very difficult. I get it. It can be, like, anxiety, like, ridden, white-knuckling and stuff because it can be treacherous. But that's usually generally the people around you, right? Like, if, if you're just kind of being cautious, taking your time, not trying to spin out in the corners or anything, you'll be okay. But you well, also have to be, like, looking ahead. Look at the tracks that have been made from the cars that have, like pioneered this morning's trek for you who left their house at 4 a.m. and were like, fuck, I'm going to have to be the first one. And some of them did it. And like, there are still people who get stuck and some who don't because some of them just respect the people who came before them. Right. What kind of car do you drive? Do you have an SUV or do you have like a sedan? <clears throat> right. Got a sedan. I've got winter tires on it. And I mean, like, listen, man, throughout my life, I have been stuck in some snowbanks, and I sure. have not been, right? And yeah. what I have learned over time is you get stuck in snowbanks when you start thinking you know better than the tracks before you. Like, you're well, trying to get around a corner at, at the red. Uh, you know, all day long, everybody's been single file, and they're kind of just waiting their turn and either going straight left or right, straight left. And you're like, well, no, man, it's a two lane. So I'm going to go to the right lane and I'm going to go right in that open lane, which is 18 inches of snow and is going to cause your front bumper to make you just, you know I mean, like, and, and then that guy's sitting there bump, pulling out the shovel and doing their thing. Right. So there ah, are times where there are times where it's not necessarily your fault. Like, so for today, so today we oh, there had, are, though. there's always a lot of that. Yes. We did have, so today we had quite a snowstorm in southern Ontario. I drove my wife to work at about 9.30 this morning. And uh, I drive an SUV with all-wheel drive, so I was in good shape. Oh, yeah. You're and as I would prepared say, as you can be, right? <laughs> I would say that on every side road that I saw, there was at least one car getting stuck because they couldn't get through the deepness in between going from the side road to the main road where maybe snow had drifted or a yep. plow had pushed that height was just too much for them. So it's a little hard for them, but there were cars stuck on every side road, stuck at intersections. Those are the people who have the bald tires and stuff that just yeah. once they stop, yeah. can't move anymore. Right. Um, some every some intersection. I was like going past people and going around people and everything. But the worst thing I saw was a mom and dad pulling, and I'm going to say pulling because he couldn't push a baby on a stroller and in a morning walk. Like, give me a reason why you needed to take your baby out in that storm in your stroller. And the dad was pulling him behind him. He, I don't think, I think he gave up on pushing. And he was just walking forward with his hands behind his back, yanking that stroller through the snow. And I'm just waiting for that baby to be like, to fall over into the, into the stroller and be like a snow gnome from now on. So the thing is, there's so many things, like there's so many circumstances that could be at play there. And it's, it's sad because it could be something as like, fun as they are scandinavians and this is just what they do and they're having a great time or it could just be like something really like heartbreaking as like this family has no other option like public transit wise or anything else to get this kid wherever they have to get them so they can get to a job that did not close right like i don't really know the spectrum there but 
I, I would have carried the baby if I could have. I generally try to like skew towards. Hopefully, there's a good reason for that. Generally, <laughs> anytime you see something like that, my my initial reaction is, "Oh gosh, I hope there's a good reason for that." But usually, within less than a millisecond, uh, some sort of like new evidence presents itself, uh, be it audio <laughs> or visual or something, and I'm like, "Oh no, there is no." good reason for that right I'm like that's unfortunate dad. yeah like, we can get out it's not that bad for a walk uh, or you know what john their car got stuck in in the side and they weren't sure like what to maybe. do and they're just the dad could be like i'm gonna marry and joseph and jesus you to like the closest manger and i'm out of here and i'll go back <laughs> to get some gas and get the car out. like i don't know could be anything that could be like his that could have been one of the most heroic moments in that gentleman's life <laughs> I hope it was an heroic moment because, from my perspective, it was an idiotic moment. So maybe saving them from like having their car. Like there was probably a plow. Was like, listen, you get get out of here and go home, or this car is stuck here and you're stuck in a four foot drift. I guess I could have been a real hero and stopped and seen if they were okay, but I just kept driving. <laughs> that's not that's not the way you were taught by your Lord and Savior. Uh, that's definitely <laughs> my way. Yeah, <laughs> I just kind of looked. I, you know, like it, it was bad out, and I didn't want to be out. I had to drive my wife to work. She was one of those places that I had to go, and uh, you know, I saw people to my left who were about to, about to get stuck at a, a turning left on an intersection, and I was like. I can keep going. Yeah. I'm just going to go. I'm not going to stop and be a good Samaritan. I just want to honest home. though to be, you're not, it's not even about that on what I'll say. You're is kind of doing the right thing because the one problem with snow drivers is when they start slowing down, Yeah, they almost start making a muck of things, right? Like it's not to say you should be speeding through things, but there's like, there is a comfortable pace where you and your car feel comfortable. You're going, the momentum is fine. You feel like you can safely stop if you needed to, but you'd rather not because the momentum is you're moving quicker than like there are t- times where like, oh, man, to slow down here, I might just end up sliding into this or that. And so well, you go, stopped. right? Like you just go. right? Like, I was able to stop and start like this is that red light. Oh, you're fine. The intersections are always good. And I was just like, oh, I'm just going to go. I'm just going to let this guy spin out. <laughs> intersections and turns man like the only thing you gotta do is go wide right like if you're really yeah. concerned it you nailed it earlier you mentioned the fact that it the snow drifts and plows come by and what happens is like those inside edges and inside corners are not as free as you think mm-hmm. go wide right like yeah there's this is this is the time when you're allowed to go left at a light and actually go into the far lane <laughs> Not like people don't do that regularly anyways. Like, I mean, like all roads become one lane, actually, in my opinion, too. I, I don't right. like the two lanes. I'm like, you know what? The edges are going to be bad because people aren't driving. People are driving in the middles. Yeah. So the far lane is going to be terrible and drifty and pull your tires. So I'm just going to take them. If, if it's safe, if it's not safe, I'm going to just drive in the middle of the road. Yeah, right. There are certain things that you should not do when the roads are perfectly clear that people do all the time that are demerit point losing things like changing lanes in traffic. Don't do it, people. I don't understand. Like, not sorry, changing lanes in intersections. Yeah. Uh, you're not supposed to do that. Right. Right. Wait. When you get through the intersection, you get to the lane you want to go to. But if you do it in an intersection, then be some points. And not enough people get pulled over for that one, man. And it really bugs me. 
Correct. Because you're supposed to be like, you know what I mean? It's not like a lawlessness. Just because there's no lines on the ground don't mean it's like a free-for-all. It doesn't mean you can just go fucking do donuts in the middle of the intersection because there ain't no lines painted there. Um, anyways. But you can do that in the winter. Right? If there's nobody around you. Uh, if the matter is like it's you, you're you're going through this intersection alone. And the tracks ahead of you have changed. Right? For, you know what I mean? Like if the safer road is in the middle and you're on the edge, just get to the middle before you get to there. Right? Like that's fine. Um but hopefully everybody's fine. Has had a good safe drive. And uh, you know. I saw some people get stuck. And, and some people who didn't deserve it, some who did. Uh I saw a lot of people not get stuck. Um I saw a lot more than anything I saw. Capable, perfectly good winter Canadian snow drivers, right? Like that was not the strangest thing I saw today, right? Like to me, it's like everything I saw traffic wise out the window, uh was kind of just like expected right i was like oh yes i expected this like 1996 toyota uh tercel with all seasons that are most likely ball to kind of drift on that corner and to do exactly what it did um you know and my favorite was there was a cop at the at the lights parked because uh you know the the middle islands where you always see the the, the little mm-hmm. sign that tells you hey there's an island here you're gonna have to go in this lane Somebody had driven into it. It was knocked over. So the cop was there because the sign's not there, so he has to be there until they can come lift the sign up. But I was watching this guy, and and love this cop. He helped at least two or three cars who had gotten stuck into that thing, right? Like, he got out, he would either, like, right. use, like, a shovel if they had one or whatever, made yeah. sure that they got through the right. But, bless his heart, he also did not help, like, seven of them. <laughs> Because he, like me, had this perfect view of this corner and saw exactly who deserved the help and who didn't. Because <laughs> there were some aggressive morons who were just flying through. And I'm like, man, just because you think you're like Mitsubishi Outlander is nice and high off the ground doesn't necessarily mean you're going to make around this corner. And this one guy just like rammed it right into a big drift. Like no damage. Obviously, it's just snow. Just back up and get around. But like... Backing up was on him, but it's like also, but I also would not have gone out because I'm like, you got a, you've got an SUV, you got a four by four. You should be able to handle this just yourself. Right. Yeah. So you and your ivory tower sipping on your hot chocolate, were judging all these drivers. (laughs) Well, I mean, I didn't have the hot chocolate till later. (laughs) Okay. Usually during a snow storm like this, if if you can see a main artery road, you generally see plows kind of regularly. Like you can almost time the frequency because you know they're going to hit this road here before accumulation again, because now they're going to go hit those side roads. And then later they're going to hit the city streets when like everything slows down. But like that wasn't really happening. And it really did feel like chaos out my window. I'm like, oh, this is this is nutty. Like they don't know. They don't. I don't think there was enough people, man. I'm going to tell you. I'm pretty sure we just figured out who the unvaccinated workers in the city are who didn't like come to work. You mean like that or that or it's like a shit ton of them are sick. Yeah. Yeah. Because there was not a lot of plows out there, man. And it took a while for the private ones to start getting out there too. Cause like you could tell they didn't get the call till noon, right? Like the bat signal didn't go out to private companies till like noon. Like, Hey, we're in trouble. Can you help? Right. Although they isolate their job, they they sit in a cabin isolated, so they have less excuse. Anyway, that it concludes plow talk. 
our new segment of our podcast, Plow Talk. I don't know how, <laughs> how much of that's usable. If that's a seasonal segment, a seasonal segment. It'll if that's you know, entertaining. But, uh, Next time we'll have Mr. Plow join. Oh, Mr. Plow. That's my name. That name again is Mr. Plow. Ooh, I, what era would that be? That would be like uh, Golden Age, right? Yeah, yeah, man. That's like oh, that's like the early like I think that five, was season. To, five to nine. No, no, Probably. before that. Yeah, I think it would. Uh, you're looking maybe even one to six. I think Mr. Plow was like very, very, very early on. Season four, season four, episode nine. Pre-shading, because I think they did like started shading and doing like better animation after a few years too. Yeah, yeah. So that was season four, episode nine, which aired in '92. The Mr. Plow, which has lived on to now. Yeah. Oh man, '92. I bet you in 1992. Oh, you know what? I hadn't learned. I hadn't started playing guitar yet, but I was just looking for or trying to convince my parents to buy me my first guitar in 92 because I think I started in 93. So a grade eight or nine, you picked up your first grade seven, grade seven, 92 grade. Oh, yeah, it'd be grade seven or eight. Yeah. So my first guitar was probably a hundred, hundred and fifty dollars. It was an electric guitar with a little amp as a parent what kind of money would you spend on an instrument like that for one of your kids if if they were looking at playing an instrument you know like there's a considerable cost to get started there um yeah there is for everything and i think for me it's like i kind of have to see my i think i have a lot more perspective and it comes it comes down to with my kids, when there's certain requests for needs for things, I kind of can think back to the needs and requests I made to my folks. Okay. Right? And the times that maybe they bought me things that I didn't understand the value of or how much they had invested in me. Or maybe perhaps I didn't understand the, the amount they didn't. Right? Like maybe I was like, man. I felt like I was really being supported in my archery career. But to be mm. honest, now that I think back, that was a lot of dollar store bow and arrows. <laughs> right. But versus like, I kind of mentioned I liked music once and there was a really kind of pricey keyboard here, like a Yamaha. And what am I supposed to do with this? I'm like essentially Ross Geller now at Christmas parties. Just do, 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 do. Right. Like, I don't know how to play this thing. Um, so like, you know what I mean? Like, was I that investment? But that's my parent. Like, you know what I mean? Like that, what's that mean? That was my parents are like, well, nobody's a fucking bow and archery person. Give them a fucking plastic thing. Right. Whereas people play music, give them a keyboard. But had they really taken the time to get to know me, they would have realized, like, I don't have the capability to read music or learn it or really understand how to, like, I love music, but I, I can't translate it back. Right through instrument. Okay. But you take me out to the YMCA and give me a fucking bow and arrow. It's game time. Right? Like, I could have maybe had made the Olympics had you just looked at the seven. Like, I mean, like, I'm not being facetious, of course, but like, there is that. So I think with my kids, I kind of just try to make sure that I'm like really being truthful of like, how much do you want this? And fucking piano, they're good. And I was worried, right? Because I'm like, I don't have it. 
if I don't have it, I'm pretty sure the genes almost say they shouldn't have it, right? Like it's, <laughs> and, and but it's like they get it. Like one's really, really good. Yeah, Just picks it up. I'm, I, I bet I have a feeling that the younger one over time may develop the ability to play by ear, like pretty well. Whereas the older one though is very technical, can read and kind of play it proper, and but is also like way more anal about that though, right? Like when it's a miss, it's a miss. Whereas the younger one is a little bit more artistic of like, I didn't miss a note. I was creating a new one. You know what I mean? Like there are just different ways to that. So they've got like that. nice instruments to work with because they get it. They get it. And, and you know what? Their fucking bow and arrows come from the dollar store too. Right. Like I get it. I get it. I <laughs> like that term play by ear, especially by like a, what does that mean to, to an, no offense, but maybe a, like a non musician. Cause that's a funny term. Yeah. For me, it means like my kid can like he heard a song on Spotify, kind of had the piano in front of him, and was kind of like almost came pretty close to like knowing what that was without having, I think, to really like see anything on a like a a note like on a on a screen. Like he does have like I've seen him like look up on YouTube like music and what notes to hit on the keyboard or whatever. Um, but I think this one was just kind of like I know that sound. Like, I played that sound. He's like, I know that sound. So he just kind of hit, like, two things on the piano. He's like, that's the same fucking sound I'm hearing, right? And I'm like, okay, I guess. I don't know. I'm like, I don't know. I'm taking his advice. I'm like, I'm taking his word at it when he's like, this is the sound I heard on the Spotify speaker right now, and I'm hitting it right here. I'm like, okay, cool. Like, I wouldn't know. Well, ear training is something that we practice and develop, right? So... Um, as you develop as a musician, you develop your ear training and to understand notes. And another thing is like, there's certain, uh, certain rules, uh, you know, loose, they're loose, but, uh, there's certain things that belong in certain spots. So, um, as an example, um, you can, let's say you find a note and you know, you can kind of find the base of the song. So you know what chords belong in that key and what chords don't belong in that key just without even hearing notes. So if I know something's an E minor, you know, I'll know that it's supposed to be likely it's supposed to be like a C as opposed to a C sharp. And I can do that without even hearing the notes. So, you know, you can, you don't have to play by ear as, as you would say, but, um, the reason I bring this up is that uh, there's, in the last week, a new guitar was released by uh, PRS, which is like, um, maybe maybe if you would say there's like three main players or four main players, PRS is maybe like third or fourth as far as like uh, brand recognition in, in the guitar world. And... Um, John Mayer has moved over to be one of their signature artists, and he released a uh, mm, uh, entry level yeah. entry level model of his signature guitar. Okay. So okay. they've been working with him for a couple of years. His signature guitar is called the Silver Sky, and they retail for thirty two ninety nine Canadian. And this new one, it's called the Silver Sky SE. It's very similar, maybe made somewhere differently 
and retails for a thousand and ninety nine dollars. Mm, so okay. Quite quite considerable in savings. Um the you know, like a couple there's a couple differences and a couple things that you can see maybe that uh you you're saving money, but for the most part this is a great model and for eleven hundred bucks is I think in the like the range where a, a guitar player would be like, well, maybe I got my first guitar and it was like one my mom and dad rented because they didn't want to plunge. But you know, I've been playing for two years now, and it's like a Yamaha or something, right? Like entry yeah. level or something, something. Yeah. Art and Luther. I, I'm gonna throw. Sure. I'm gonna just drop a brand that I would say would be like a good entry level, <laughs> yeah. and uh, that I see a lot by my in my students or oh, something. Okay. Yeah. And. Uh, and so you've been playing for like two years and you're like ready to take the plunge and then you, you can buy this guitar and you can grow and you can be like be a good guitar player and you don't need to upgrade again really with this guitar for 1100 bucks. And I can tell you that um, that's, that's like a, a high end is more than that. I was going to say, isn't that that's good value? Like if you're really saying cheap. you would, well, not, I mean, like the idea being like you don't need to upgrade again. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty big statement for. Like the casual guitarist mm-hmm. versus like, uh, you know, a working musician who's going to have guitars just because it's like collecting sneakers for the odd person, right? Like it's just, yes. they're not just going to be like, well, you know, utility wise, I only carry one cell phone. So why would I have more than one guitar? They're going to have more than one guitar because they love mm-hmm. guitars. They have um, sounds and things that they're looking for. But to the person who's kind of like, you know, living alone, doesn't really plan on playing in clubs with friends or something and doesn't have but wants wants to be able to pick something up and have a yeah there you go that's you could totally play in a bar in a band with this guitar too like this is a this guitar i could pick up that guitar and use it as my day-to-day for sure i think too you know what there's people uh, the analogy i know you're gonna roll your eyes at but like there is there are sports analogies for this right like when when like a golfer finds like a really well-priced driver that's like, man, not to say I could play with this on the tour, but I bet I could show up with it. Right. And they wouldn't mean, or, or like a hockey player who's like beerly, who's kind of like, listen, I know my stick shouldn't be so bendy and flexy, but Canadian tire had to say, like, you know, you find the valuable thing, you want to keep it and you cherish it. Then that's cool. But does this like who's this putting pressure on Gibson and Fender, or are there, or is it more the other guys in their tier that have to worry about like, oh man, these guys are going to start eating all our sales now? I think it. Well, I think really target Fender because yeah. um, <clears throat> there's a, a little bit of a little bit of bureaucracy with this this model guitar too. John was John Mayer's was originally known as a Fender player. Um, a lot of guitars. He worked with Fender for a long time. Had a couple Fender signatures, and this guitar looks like a Fender. Um, it used to. People gave it a lot of flack at first because it looks just like a like a guitar that John used to play when he was a signature Fender artist. So it's a very similar model, but it's at this point, this price point that I think even Fender's a little above right now for the quality of the guitar it is. Okay, and I think that. The people looking for that stage in life of their guitar, or even pros who just want a Fender Stratocaster sound, but don't want to spend twenty two hundred dollars on a Stratocaster, 
are going to spend $1,100 on this uh, Silver Sky SE, and they're going to get that sound. And I think it's going to make a big a big impact if people are okay with that, as long as uh, there's not, like, the hardware for it isn't trapped in the Suez Canal right now or something. We're all good. <laughs> yeah, right. That's that's cool, man. Like, I can't, you know, like, I understand in the world of kind of like sneakers where you could be like Nike, Adidas, you know, uh, and having their brand representatives is a big deal, be it like certain athletes or even now branching out from athletes, right? Like where, you know, uh, Kanye and Adidas is important and Drake and Nike is important, but, you know, so is Air Jordan. And then Adidas has like the tennis game, like Gibson and Fender, how much do these guys fight over it? And follow up uh if gibson and fender fight over talent so much the same way nike and adidas do how much of a coup is this uh for prs to have picked up john mayer is this like akin to like steph curry going to under armor like is this a big deal yeah john mayer's uh really big for guitar right now there's a, a lot of uh a lot of modern young like TikTok players and, and Instagram players I you know are really inspired by John. He's leading a lot of young players. Uh there's a lot of his style going on. But the reason it's so big, Gibson almost went bankrupt about ten years ago, I wanna say. So you know them and they probably make the best guitars out of all three. <laughs> well maybe PRS. PRS has always been known as a very high end guitar. They had uh, artists like Carlos Santana. He was like one of their big guys prior. But John's a really big one for them to have. Um, Fender's always been a good guitar, uh, and they've always had a lot of... They, they're good because they have a lot of price points, so they have a lot of different factories. They have a factory in Mexico and a factory in Japan in a factory in the U.S., and there's different price points at those different factories are coming out of those different factories. And um, so they hit a lot of price points. They hit $200 guitars up to, you know, $2,700 guitars, whereas Gibson Gibsons are, you know, not like that. They have a brand called Epiphone that produces some of their guitars that are lower price, but to get into, like, a Gibson you know, you're looking at two thousand dollars up to five, six thousand dollars for some of the good Gibsons, and uh, yeah, this is a big one to get into that eleven hundred dollars with a guitar that. So to get into that price point is a pretty big deal, and I think it's going to be quite a player. So the next thing is people have to get over the fact that it looks like a so guitar players have all this like they're like they throw a lot of tea, man, and so they have a lot of hate for this, this guitar because it looks like a fender and people don't like that. Probably just sour. Cause it's not made at fender though. I don't know why. Like it's the artist signature series. So if that's what that artist wants it to look like, that's how it should look. But do you think the folks at fender are kind of like, man, you wanted to make a fender. You should have just made it with us. Is it like that or? I don't think the folks at Fender, I think guitar players are saying that. I don't think the folks at Fender are PRS. I'll tell you a little a little thing. In March of 2020, when I was gainfully employed, had, uh, you know, 
two jobs plus a podcast. Um, when we were all working, no one was locked down. I came very close to buying one of these $3,200 guitars. I even talked to my wife about it. She was on board. And I said, well, I'll just wait for the week. I don't love the color that we have in stock at the store I was looking at. I would like a different color. The next week, we got shut down. And then a couple months later, I was I was looking at no work. <laughs> I made the best decision to not buy a $3,200 guitar. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> Funny part is, if you wanted to now, the supply chain probably would say, no, you can't. You can't have it right now. I would have paid for it by now. But it would have <clears> been <throat> all mine by now, but it would have been hard. But you probably could have then sold it for like a lot more right now because anybody trying to get their hands on one probably couldn't. <laughs> no, I would have lost, uh, lost yeah. money for sure. <laughs> you want to do a social experiment for me? Because you're a good friend and you like to do things when I ask. <laughs> Since you teach the guitars... Uh, since you teach the guitars, I want you to, I want you to track. I have a feeling any kid who comes into class with a Gibson, uh, into a lesson with a Gibson guitar, I, I bet you that kid also carries an iPhone. Uh, <laughs> and I, and I bet you any kid str- or like coming on in and, or like strutting in with a Stratocaster, I see what I did there. Yeah. Uh, I bet you that kid's got a Samsung in his pocket. I bet you. <laughs> Uh, and then any, any, any kid who's trying to be hip, cool coming in with that PRS or like, uh, uh, Ibanez or something, uh, I bet <laughs> I, you that kid's I got be- a Huawei. <laughs> An Ibanez? Yeah, yeah, for sure. The Ibanez kids are definitely playing Huawei's. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Those I are, sh- I got it. those are shredders. So people playing Ibanez, I mean, this, we're getting a little too far from our podcast into the world of guitar players, but. The Ibanez guitars are for the shredder guys who play like really heavy metal and stuff. The, so that's a certain breed of player all in, all on its own. But you're, you're right to say that that's good to know. But listen, we do a thing. We do a PSA here. It's a public service, man. And essentially, as we got into it, someone listening was like, what the hell's an Ibanez? You explained it. And you know what that person's takeaway is right now? Ibanez. <laughs> oh, I'm just saying, you got a daughter, and your daughter starts dating a guitarist, and the guitar they bring home is an Ibanez. Ibanez. You got some questions. <laughs> Ibanez. <laughs> Don't call it a, a Ibanez. I can't get over Ibanez too much. Oh, you funny. That's good. I like it. That's fun. You know what I mean? Like, I'd let my daughter date somebody who played Gibson, for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. It comes from good Chances. talk. He comes exactly. That boy's got uh, Ivy written all over him. Yeah. 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 They're friends with the magistrate. <laughs> well, see, that's the tricky thing about Fender with all those, those price points. You could be a poor kid, too. But a lot there of the times, you know, I don't want to say too much. You that Leo on the Titanic. Okay. I don't want to talk too, too. I don't want to get in trouble here, but a lot of people who take, who have families who can pay for lessons. Do I need to say more? Uh, no. I mean, listen, I do not come from old stock and go to fucking Yale or shit, but my kids take lessons. You know yeah, that. Yeah. Um, you know, some parents, I, I would be on, depends, man. Like, I don't know what your setup is, but like, I don't see a lot of like 
the Juilliard bound at my kid's like piano place. You know what I mean? No, um, <laughs> not, not to be rude, but it's like a lot of them seem to be like people who are, kind, you know, like the, there are certain parents who will just be like, stick the kid in everything. Cause you just never know what they'll be good at. Yeah. You're still um, paying 200 like, bucks a, right. a month for that. Those lessons for the two. Oh yeah. 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 And honestly, they better get something out of it. Like at the very least, it's like, I'm not telling these guys to be fucking crooning in like the holiday Inn, but, <laughs> you know, that it's like in time. <laughs> no, but I'm. Uh, that's not what I'm doing. Like, in, like uh, I'm not uh, King Richard fucking bringing up Venus and Serena here on the tennis courts, trying to like make sure it happens. I make them show up for thirty minutes once a week, and I kind of just gauge throughout the week how much of an interest. Like, how often do they ask to like even practice? Yeah, and not often. I'll tell you that not 200 bucks fucking worth a month, but like, I'm also kind of sitting here like, well, listen, like at a certain point, I'm going to keep paying it. If you actually want to keep doing it, they haven't said they don't like it. Right. So that's key, right? Like that's, that's kind of number one. Like they're, they get frustrated with it, but they don't want to quit it more about, which I think is even, I think that's even more key. Right. Like I think it's, it's one thing like, you know what I mean? Like, uh, I don't want to quit that. That's okay. Well, a lot of people like doing easy shit. So that's not going to tell me a lot about what kind of character this kid's got in him right now. But if it's like, oh, that fucking sucked. That, oh, that sucked. But I'm like, okay, so what's that mean? Well, I don't know. I'll just fucking have to be better for next week. All right, then. Well, here we go. Right? Like, at least it's something where it's it's not the brink of like, I just don't want to do it. Um, it would be nice to see them a little more interested in it. But then... Uh, it's it's a it's how much do i want to push that because like the little one is the one like if i was going to sit back and be like hmm which one the thing is they both play very well right like no but i mean like if somebody's like listen you you have to take one of these kids and keep them in the music thing and the other one you got to take and focus on whatever other talent it is they have the older one i know is like very like it's very studious right so to him it would be like it'd be a very I will get this done, but I don't know if he would ever really enjoy music in the long run. If I was like the the parent who's taught him violin and takes him 20 hours a week, like he would be very good at it, but I don't know if he would enjoy it. I think the younger one would enjoy music, but I don't think he's got like the patience to stick with it as much as he does like coding. Like you can put this kid in front of a computer or other thing like, and co- he'll code like, things i'll be like holy crap i remember man like i gave the kid a like the kid gets showered we change his clothes he's sitting seven he's just chilling in his room he's like i'll be here oh he's like i'm like all right it's a weekend we got time to kill i come back like an hour later he's got his ipad doing like a youtube tutorial of like how to code scratch like uh, a game of snake like the old nokia snake game using uh this harvard provided scratch program which is like helps kids learn how to code Kid built Snake, man. I sat down and played Snake for 45 minutes that day. That's cool. I had, like, things to do. They were like, man, we're hungry. Where's lunch? I'm like, I'm playing Snake right now. I was <laughs> like, I didn't think my day was going to start that way, but this, but that's the thing. So if he was to whip out a piano and treat it like that, uh, then he would get more support in that, right? Like, it's, but I feel like there's, there's value in it. Like, man, what am I going to do with that 200 bucks a month, right? Like... Mm-hmm. Just I think, spend it on sneakers, hoodies. Right? May as well, well invest in there. Parents will pay for those 
those things if the kid's enjoying it or getting that out of it. They don't have, they don't always expect their kid to, you know, make it to like the the world of cover bands or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. No, man. We pulled the, like, you know what I mean? The cord's been pulled on skating. Yeah. Neither one's been very good at it. Neither one's going to make the NHL. All right. You know what? You can learn to skate when you're older like I did. I mean, like, it's like nobody had me in skating when I was three or four. I kind of learned in like grade five, six, seven, because I was like, you know, what's kind of a fun winter activity, putting on skates and, and you know what? I can get around, but I, I don't, I'm not doing triple axles, nor did I ever need to, right? Like, that's fine. So to each their own in that sense, like, so. Well, I brought up cover bands uh, on purpose, um, why they could make it to a cover band. I've been watching a lot of, uh. A lot of bands do some covers on YouTube lately. Isn't that like essentially what YouTube was created for? (laughs) You know, I think maybe, but it's gone away from that a little bit. But uh, there's still a section of the of the platform that has some cover bands. So, like one of the one of the bands that I like a lot is called Scary Pockets. Have you ever heard of them? Uh, no, obviously not. You know what category I'd like to see on YouTube now? YouTube classics, classics. A section of called YouTube classics where they just show you some of the best shit from like four years ago. So I could go catch up with all the stuff that you talk about. You know what I mean? Like all the things I've missed you're gonna are always, there somewhere. You're going to always be missed out because a lot of the old YouTube stuff was not user friendly, not uh, advertiser friendly, not platform friendly. So they don't want you to remember that stuff. They want you to stay in the future. Um, but scary pockets is a group. Um, part of them is a, you know, like one of the guys is sometimes from a group called Pomplamoose, which is, I think I've mentioned on this podcast before, but there's a few musicians that uh, come in and out of that group that record and make these videos of uh, covers. And they do have every once in a while, some good spins on some of these songs. And, you know, they have some big names that uh, roll in and out of the guest appearances. Uh, Your buddy, I think it's Casey, Casey from, uh, Abrams, Casey Abrams Abrams from American Idol. Yeah. He's done, uh, he's done a couple songs on there. He's done a Beatles song with them and stuff. It's been a lot of fun. The guys from, or, uh, Theo Katzman from Wolfpack has been, uh, been on there. We've, we've seen a couple big artists on, on the scary pockets. And, uh, I wondered, you know, like what's your opinion of, covers were do you think that the original is always better or do you think that uh sometimes a cover can be the the more preferred version of a song i think for sure we always give credence and credit to whoever created the original song um sometimes someone else does do it better though mm-hmm. right uh, i don't think it's always the case but almost sometimes you do you stumble up i think this happens more often for people who have heard a song the first time in their life via the cover mm-hmm. i think who it's also in how you experience it if you grew up with a song a certain way and then a band comes along 10 15 years later after you've heard it and covers it you're still probably inclined to be like the original's better, the original's better. I heard the original it's better. You might still appreciate 
And a part of you in the back of your mind probably even says, man, this fucking cover is pretty good, though. Hmm. Might even be better. But I, I, I feel like it's a lot easier for someone who's like, the first time they heard something, it was, you know, Bruce Coburn or uh, Joe Cocker singing it. And then they find out much old later that, oh, damn, that was a cover of something else from like 20 years prior. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, I still like Cocker's version of like, don't let me be misunderstood, right? Like, you know what I mean? Just you kind of. So a couple of just, the. All right. A couple of the big covers of all time. You might even be surprised our covers are like uh, Sinead O'Connor. Nothing compares. Nothing compares to you is a, is a Prince song. Yep. Now, that's right. I, I don't know if that that's a little gray as far as cover goes, because I think I think he might have wrote it. For her. For her or yeah, that him. unless he performed it first. Right. Um, that's how I always look at it is like, yeah. if it, cause a lot of people will write and then give a song away, uh, to someone else. I think it, if he covered it after, but he wrote it before, I think that's just one of, that is gray area for sure. Yeah. I think that just mucks up the works more than anything. Or to be honest, if I'm, if I'm Sinead, I'm kind of like, really Prince, really? Did I do something to offend you? <laughs> That makes you say the song that I wrote for Sinead no longer should be sung by Sinead. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's there's a lot of shade being thrown at Sinead <laughs> in that scenario um, by the late Prince. But I'm sure, like, it's fine. But yeah. Or you'll hear, like, Sia's version of Diamonds. Right. So, but so I'm looking at this Rolling Stone article of the best, ooh. 10 best covers. And I agree with some of them. Like, um, okay. uh, you know. actually, actually, uh, I don't have a lot to offer other than opinion on these songs you're about to get into. So I do want to do that. I'll give you my one little anecdote, right, on covers and why I love this, this whole thing. Because you're not wrong. About, I was at a bar once, and this is a story that's so nostalgic and so, like, throwback to last week. Thinking back, looking back to a time mm-hmm. before COVID. Remember when you used to just randomly go to bars sometimes um and it was this was one of those weird times when i was like i used to travel for work (laughs) that was a thing uh and it was one of those places i was in a bar uh in the hotel far away from anywhere else but i was alone but there was strangers and strangers sitting close to me john very like shoulder to shoulder shoulder to shoulder scary time scary time but I'm eating away, drinking away, trying to get up to my room to go to bed. But I hear a great conversation taking place by these two gentlemen. And one is uh, convinced. And and I think this gentleman, I'm going to say, not to like typecast or stereotype, kind of looks like your dad, right? Looks like your dad. Oh, okay. And is like very adamant uh, that Johnny Cash is hurt. Was one of the best songs Johnny Cash wrote on the way out the door. Oh, yada yada yada. Uh, meanwhile, I've got a a young strapping Carlton looking fella, like Carlton with like athletic skill. Maybe plays volleyball on the uni team, kind of thing, right? So my dad hanging out with Carlton, very much. And Carlton, but athletic Carlton, capable athletic Carlton, is very adamant uh, that no. That song was written by someone else. Mm-hmm. 
just doesn't know who and but but no maybe right and like he's struggling with it and in jumps in brown boy me with johnny cash did indeed cover hurt uh rick rubin actually made that album uh and it was a cover of a nine inch nail song so trent reznor wrote hurt and these two gentlemen are looking at me like stop (laughs) (laughs) it ain't like i think there was a point where they were kind of like we didn't need to know all of that but like i don't know if i ruined the song for them but there was a part where you could tell like carlton was upset that trent reznor and nine inch nails were involved and that he remembered that uh uh your dad was upset that he didn't know what a trent reznor was (laughs) You know what I mean? <laughs> there was just a lot going on in that moment. Uh, so to me, it's always like I'm I'm bracing myself to feel in the next few minutes as you go through your list. I'm bracing myself to feel like those two gentlemen did that day in that moment in time. Oh, I hope I get that. Uh, when things just got shattered left, right, and center. So right. let's see. What do you got? What do you got? That's great. I, I hope that we get surprised. Now, none of these will be as pretentious as me mentioning Rick Rubin. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you would have lost me on that part. But, um, you know, like um, Rolling Stone, I'm reading a Rolling Stone article about the top uh, covers. You know, and it's no surprise that there's um, Bob Dylan songs in here. So Jimi Hendrix is all along the Watchtower. Because Dylan is classic to cover. Johnny Cash's uh, Johnny Cash's version of "Hurt" is on here. Um, so those are the Rick Rubin produced. Uh, you know, <laughs> Rolling Stone felt like that wasn't a necessary uh, tidbit. <laughs> you know, like they didn't they don't mention that in their quick little write up um, <clears throat> that Rick Rubin has anything to do with it. Uh, Jeff Buckley's version of "Hallelujah." Which is originally okay. by Leonard Cohen. Oh, yes. I think everybody knows that. And I think, yeah, I think that's one, man. I'm going to go ahead and say, I heard the Buckley one before. Yep. So therefore, having heard the Cohen one, which I, I like a lot, actually. Mm-hmm. But it's like a 5149 Buckley. You know what I mean? Like if I'm judging this one on a on a score sheet, it's 5149. Sorry, Leonard. Uh, Should have been yours, but... Buckley beat you to the punch on this one. He got to me and got to my ears first. Yep, yep. I think that that's the case with the Buckley one is that he may, it's, uh, it's a different way to enjoy the song. He made it more about his performance, whereas Cohen made it more about the meaning of the, the words in the song. So it depends what kind of gets you into in, in a song. Like, Do you like listening to the lyrics and analyzing those? thinking about what the producer was doing that day, putting that into memory so you can bring it up at a bar to two oddly, like, odd-looking friends. You know, that kind of thing. Or do you like the musical performance by the artist? You know, it depends what you want. Um, I, I think with Buckley's, didn't he also benefit from, like, pop culture usage as well it wasn't like i feel like sometimes what happens is like you know if you come up about a certain time at a certain age a cover may be featured in a movie or a television show or something right like jeff buckley's hallelujah gives me a very felicity vibe or dawson's creek vibe oh, you know what i mean like yeah. something where like that's where it kind of 
it grabbed on in the ether okay. and because it has to, right? Some somehow this the covers have to grab onto something in the ether to be kind of like out outshine the original, right? Mm. Well, I have a feeling there was one of those because where else would I have heard, right? That and that kind of happens, I guess. Well, so as we go down this list, we get Joe Cocker with a little help from my friends, right? I think though that's a, that's already well known as a Beatles song, so I don't think we're there yet. Um, Yes, but now was that made? Was Joe Cocker the Wonder Years? Yeah, I think he was. Yeah, right. I think that's where that kind of would have worked out. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Um, we have a Nirvana, Nirvana covering "The Man Who Sold the World," which is a Bowie song. Right. Right. Uh. Again, one of my favorites, but that's a fifty-one forty-nine. Fifty-one forty-nine, only because it's like the Bowie wasn't like the Bowie song wasn't tremendous, so it's not like Nirvana had to do a lot with it mm-hmm. to make it unique and kind of like, ooh, that's a different night. Like, so it's fifty-one forty-nine. I give Kurt the edge on having done something with that. Now, here's one that might get closer into the. Oh yeah, that was a cover too. Did you know that "Twist and Shout" by the Beatles is in a cover? Is or isn't is a cover. Yeah, uh, I I learned that. Well, Twist and Shout, I assumed was a cover of something from the fifties because it's just got too much of that fifties vibe to it. Mm-hmm. I didn't know who it was, and but I remember when they they sang it in Get Back, they did show mm-hmm. um, the credits to to who wrote it. It was it definitely gave me like a nineteen fifties vibe. So I'm not. Was it Chuck Berry? It was the I. Is it Isley or Isley Brothers? I don't know. Oh, the I, the Isley Brothers. Yeah. 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 There you go. Uh, yeah, I remember that. Like that, um, I think at the time I wouldn't have, right? Like growing up, if I was growing up in the 60s and the Beatles had sung that song and I had missed the 50s, I would maybe not know. Um, I think it was one of, I, you know what I mean? Like you can slump dog millionaire me here right now. And like, how did you know that? But I don't know how I knew that other than maybe I think the original twist and shout was used by like Kirk Cameron or <laughs> Michael J. Fox or something in like one of their teen movies that they ever did. Right. Mm-hmm. And I remember hearing that version before, before hearing the Beatles version ever, because I came upon the Beatles later. Right. So I would have seen like, I don't know, Teen Wolf 2, and you would have seen, like, Jason Bateman, like, screaming and twisting and shouting. Uh, Ferris Bueller, possibly. Yeah. The parade scene. Yeah. Right? So, to me, I had no association to the parade scene and Ferris Bueller being anything Beatles-related till much later on in life. So, that's that's a cool one. I, that's, a, that's a good deep dive. Yeah. So, that uh, that's the Beatles version that we hear in Ferris Bueller. I would. I just figured it was a Ferris Bueller original, man. <laughs> Until you know, how old was I? Like eight. I'm not sitting there like studying catalogs. <laughs> Until later on in life, and then I was like, oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. Um. So there's a couple. Uh, they have another uh, Nirvana song on here. Uh, they have. Um, do you know this song? It's um. Um. So. You have you're gonna like if it's off of unplugged, yeah. It's generally a cover, right? They didn't do many of their own songs on the unplugged, 
So I, I would imagine there's a lot of that. If they had earlier singles that were covers in big, that would be interesting. Not to give projects to the audience, but here's something. If you got nothing else to do with your time and you're done playing Wordle, folks, mm-hmm. uh, why don't you, you know, it would be interesting to find out, like, who holds the record for, like, most covered songs? Like, who who has sung more songs than anyone and gotten, like, less acclaim for because other people have sung their songs? Right? You would have thought, I'm going to go ahead and imagine that it's probably jazz era musicians, right? Like, you probably got, like, a Billie Holiday or somebody who, like, in her time put out, like, 300 songs. And there's a good chance, like... 10 or 15 of the songs that I've never even heard of, I've heard from other people like Asia or something without knowing it, right? Like, that happens too. Well, I Love Rock and Roll is a cover. You know, the Joan Jett song? I love rock and roll. Yeah. Did you know that was a cover? Who, who's it covered? Like, who, covered, who did she cover, I guess? She covered The Arrows. The Arrows. Cool. Who I don't even know. There you go, right? That's a good one. I like that. Mm-hmm. Anything else like that one? Yeah. That's a fun one. Uh, no Doubt covers It's My Life. It's my Huh. Yeah. So one of their big songs. Uh... Bon Jovi's It's My Life? <laughs> I know. That's what's in my head too, right? That's what I think of too. I was like, man, I can't, I can't get a tune going in my head right now. I'm like, no doubt, it's my life, and then, and then, all I've got going on right now is Bon Jovi just ripping it in my head, just going. I don't know if you'll be able to hear it. Oh, okay, yeah. That that would be a cover of what? Uh, What did no? Well, it's a cover of "It's My Life." By who? Um, oh, sorry, I'm trying to read this thing. A band, an oh. English band called Talk Talk. Talk Talk. It's got that sort of like you know, 1960s Brit poppy kind of like flow to it too. Like I could see that. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, and I think interesting. I think no doubt it did that a couple times because I think a couple of their big hits were covers. I wonder how many times that's happened. That and like I wouldn't have known, but maybe others. You know what I mean? Like I wonder how frustrating it would be to people who are like music historians, mm. who because it happens now, right? A lot. Uh, uh, not to say that it, I don't think. Okay, a lot. No, it's happened. It probably happens the exact same amount as it's always happened in music history before. But now we're at a point where, you know, you've got Pitbull. <laughs> oh, Florida, or name whoever, using stuff that we very much know where it came from, right? But but children who are 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, even up to like 20, sometimes don't know, right? Um, and how do you know you're old? Because when Dr. Dre is going to be the halftime performer at the Super Bowl show, uh, and the median age of everyone who's excited is like closer to 50 than 20. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's how you know, right? Like, there's going to be a lot of performances that happen. And I bet you there's going to be a lot of like TikToks from kids going, yo, I didn't know that was Eminem. Like, <laughs> guy, oh shit, I've been sleeping on Eminem, guy. <laughs> like, it's like, 
No, right? But I I get it because <laughs> somebody somewhere has covered them. And like hip hop guys got covered now, which is kind of strange to me because yeah, are you allowed? Like that's different. Like it's akin, like you know, country songs get covered, but not a lot, eh? Right. When country songs get like when somebody in country covers something, usually what they're doing is they're taking like a rock or a pop song and turning it into a country song. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, but they very rarely will be like, here's a country song and we're going to redo it again and again and again. You get it maybe with like the odd Dolly song. Right. Like you'll hear like people cover Dolly Parton or like the odd person. But you don't see anybody make a career out of like covering more than not in country. But it's because country's got a very specific thing to it. Right. Wouldn't it be weird for me to get up on stage and sing about like swinging a baseball bat and taking out headlights when everybody knows that's Carrie and Carrie did that. Right. Yeah. Like it's just, so it would be weird in hip hop for me to get up and be like, yo, drop that new beat dog. Drop it, drop it. Sipping on gin and like, well, no Snoop sipped on the gin and juice. So it's kind of like interesting to see like, yeah, it's very personal experience, right? Like you didn't do a one eight seven on him. That was too popular. Like, like, yeah. was... like I tried <laughs> uh, to cover my band by D twelve, but it just didn't work. Well, what I'm saying is like with hip hop, it's very interesting because what do you do? You sent, you can reuse a beat, mm-hmm. right? Like when you, when you're doing something, you tend to take like the hook. You're like, okay, so what we'll do is we'll take this beat from like Biggie uh, and we'll take like the two words in the hook he said, because you can't cover a, like a song without it being really weird in hip hop. And I would have the same thing probably runs with country where it's like, you really can't, man. Like you mentioned Dolly that Parton. happened to Travis, right? Like, yeah, the big, one of the big Dolly Parton covers was I will always love you by uh, Whitney Houston. What about nine to five? Was that her or did she cover nine to five? Oh, I think she wrote it. I think she writes most of them. Right? She writes. A lot. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, of course, Whitney's was like the big, big one. I uh, That I, I don't think there was many people who knew who didn't know at the time, though. Right. Mm-hmm. I think good on Whitney, too, though, because that was kind of like Whitney's doing her press junket for like the bodyguard. And she's letting people know on the press junket for, like, the bodyguard that, like, you know, God bless Dolly Parton for having written the song, right? Yeah. Like, it's not like she ever um, didn't acknowledge the fact that there was that. Um, yeah, cool. I like that one, too. We see, but like, Dolly's done a lot, eh? Dolly's prolific, man. Sneaky prolific. Yeah. People, like, like, people sleep on Dolly Parton because of the idea of, like, the caricature of who she is and, like, the cartoon people, like, the media have kind of created of around her, like, the, the Dollyville persona and, like, oh, look, she's just busty and smiley and blonde. She's really fucking, like, good. Like, her songwriting ability over, gener- like, it's, it's it's sneaky, sneaky talent yeah. there, right? Yeah. Like, for someone who's, like, the female Elvis, if you will, like, you know what I mean? People do revere her in that way. So for me to be, like, it's sneaky talent... Um, I guess that's backhanded. I don't know what I'm trying to say here, but like, I'm just, she's legendary. Right. Uh, one guy who I always think is like, wow, both of his biggest, the, the two songs that resonated with me the most, um, although we don't talk about them too much here, uh, was Marilyn Manson. Both of his big songs to me were covers, which were 
right. Tainted yep. Love, which was a big one that he released, and um, Sweet Dreams. And I think, you know what? I was never a big Marilyn Manson person because, to me, I knew the originals, and I, I preferred them. Yeah? Right? So, like, to me, I'm like, you've done nothing for me here, sir. Right? It, it would have been different for me for sure if I had never heard those songs before in my life and my first access was to him. Maybe I'd be like, cool. Because then when you hear the originals, you're kind of like, oh, so lame compared to Marilyn. Right? But I heard them. I had an older sister. And like, if I'm not going to be like, was it wasn't that like a culture club did one of them? Right? Um, or something. Oh, t- uh, are you thinking of Tainted Love? Yeah, right. Like the original may not have even have been culture, like whoever did the song hmm. that I'm thinking, right? It could have been someone, they may have been covering someone, but my access to those songs was someone else prior to Marilyn Manson. And I'm not a big metal guy, so it didn't grab me anyways. And I think in time, it just kind of made me like resent it more in the sense of like, why, why is someone so popular off of songs that they didn't even write? Right. Okay. Right. Like, that I think was probably what drove my outside of just the dudes just not doesn't seem right. And I think we've all been proven. <laughs> like, I, mean. well, I like those two covers actually, but that's okay. No, they're like artistically they can be fine. Right. Like I didn't, they were, they were take it or leave it for me. Like for, for the people who enjoy it. Good. That's what covers exist for, yeah. to be honest. Right. It's for, for different access to, it's for people to listen to a song through a different, uh, genre that they may not have heard it before. That's generally what happens, right? Uh, you generally take a rock song, you turn it into a reggae song, and the people in the reggae market who don't necessarily listen to rock have now heard a new song. Or, or you take a song from the reggae market and you turn it into a rock song and vice versa, right? Um, I'm cool with that. I get it. But like, that doesn't mean I gotta love it. Like, so I, I c- encourage you to, to check out, um, Scary Pockets. I spent, quite a while going through their catalog and you know it's pretty hit and miss they do they try to really funk up a lot of these covers and uh i find that the hardest thing is the singer has some challenges because some songs melody lines are so ingrained in our memory it's hard when they try to change it and they don't they they have to, they're trying to sing in a different melody than the original and they just don't work the same. That kind of ruins the cover. So it's a little hit and miss, but, uh, maybe I'll, I'll put a couple of our, uh, a couple of my favorites, uh, on our website this week and you guys can check them out. I think that would be a fun idea. I think so. That'd be cool to check out. Have people send in some of their favorite covers as well. That'd be cool. I'm down with that. I mean, it's 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 interesting because you, especially like I mean, I mocked it earlier, but like, yeah, YouTube kind of grew on this, right? Like, like you know, you don't become a Sean Mendes, a Justin Bieber, or a Walk Off the Earth, or whatever you want without covering somebody's music for a little bit. Yeah, uh, and having to do something to make yourself stand out from the other hundred people who've probably posted a cover of the exact same song that day. Um, and it's a fine line. Like you've nailed it. Like how much can you make it your own without alienating the people who like the original because of what it was like, you know, can you rework an entire song and 
people still like it? Or do you need to stay kind of close to the harmonies, the melodies, or whatever that was there, the rhythm of it? Or not, right? Like, it, it's... it's Because we've seen them all, right? I've seen covers that uh, don't work at all and have and aren't at all like the original and then some that are just bloody brilliant and i think where you find i think the ones where you find the most brilliance and the most creativity are also the ones that we don't really hear a lot about but it's in the jazz world you hear the most beautiful like deconstructed like sort of covers in the jazz world but you're also not going to get like a top 40 jazz song anytime soon. So not the average, like the average person hasn't heard it. Right. But they're out there. Uh, I'd, I'd tell you to go look for a couple, right? Like, um, there, Julie London, uh, who's a, a jazz musician did a cover of like the doors light my fire, which is totally deconstructed. I mean, and just slowed down and perfect. In like every way, like if you had not been a Doors fan, did not know the song existed, you would just assume this lady created this song. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you heard the Doors later, you'd, you'd almost be confused because, you, like you know, if you had no perspective on time and you didn't know who came first, you'd be stuck. And those are my favorite covers, where you can bring in someone who has heard neither the original nor the cover. You can play them both back to back. Look at someone and say, which one came first? And if they are genuinely stuck, then you know that's a great original song and that's a fantastic cover. Mm -hmm. I think it's fun to look at uh, SoundCloud and see some covers. (laughs) You'll see modern modern musicians doing some covers. And they do that on uh, BBC's Radio 1 as well, where they have modern musicians do covers. It's, uh, It's a fun way to take something that we like you said about the jazz versions, take something that we're already familiar with, something that we've already, already decided that we enjoy listening to and hear a different kind of spin on it. That's sort of what I like. Yeah, about right, yeah. And I mean, for, for anyone like, like Nora Jones has like came, blew up, became supernova, was a huge star and has now created this wonderful little lane for herself where she just does some of the best jazz covers out there. Mm. And it's like, if you, if you're ever sitting around going, I wonder what Nora Jones is up to. That's what she's up to. (laughs) She, you know what I mean? Like she's loaded. She's got the money. She knows what she was good at and she's doing it. Um, And it's great because you know, the songs and you want to hear them a different way. And it's great stuff. Covers, man. Little did we know. (laughs) Just a nice way to put put your give the same energy, but put your spin on it and enjoy something old, new again. I am I still stuck in nostalgia? Jeez. Yeah, you're going through something this fucking 2022, eh? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to get too deep into it, but like, man, we came out of the gates kind of like looking back, uh, pretty like stuck on your favorite guitars. Um, Something you're somewhere work you're working through something. You let me know what it is when you figure it out. Sure. But that's all good. All good. Well, should we be celebrating Martin Luther King Day? We should be, but we're Canadian, so I guess we don't care. I don't know how this works. <laughs> like I'm enjoying all of the basketball that was on television throughout the day and the hockey games. It's it's fun, but I didn't see any sales and like. 
Is it a big deal to me? I guess. Like, I appreciate everything he did. I don't want to go all freaking Hansel Zoolander on Martin Luther King Jr. Like, yes, I, uh, yes, we bow down to Martin Luther King Jr. We get it. Everything, right? But I'm not trying to be all like, yeah, I respect the guy. I don't, I don't know if I follow his practices, but I respect him kind of deal. But the civil rights fight down in the state was a different fight than we saw up here. And, uh, not to say that that fight never existed up here, but perhaps we're going to need to like figure out what we do about that in Canada. Like, I don't know. It kind of came and went for me today. Uh, and I feel like people in Quebec are kind of like, this is our chance. We should capitalize. It should be Martin Luther day across Canada. Uh, it's, you know, it's time. There, I mean, imagine, like, I don't know if you saw it, but I think it was the Jimmy Carr special or something. It was a Netflix comedy, but he was like, can you imagine having gone through all that? You know, he went to bed that night saying, there's, there's just possibly no way there's going to be a more famous Martin Luther than me. (laughs) Do you say? Yeah. We need need another one, like another Martin Luther. Like he can step in for Greta Thunberg. Yeah. Take over for climate change or something. And we need like another new sweatshirt idea. Ready for it? Jesus Christ, King Jr. <laughs> oh, that's that's deep in a whole bunch of ways that I feel like we'll get in trouble for. <laughs> oh, I know. It, it's like a like a full three sixty too. We'd be getting it from all sides. I saw no, I saw a comedian today say like five different things that you can't. Uh, say if Jesus was around, one of the things if you were hanging with Jesus, you couldn't say it more anymore. It was like, who died and made you king? Boom. There you go. Uh, it's unfortunate. Religions, you know, we love them. Love them or hate them. I don't know. I, that's, for some people it works. For some it doesn't. I, I, don't, I just felt, I wish there was just like a thing where you, where it was just one of those all religions just came together one day and were like, listen, uh, we're going to go with the whole to each his own, no violence. Like, you know what I mean? I'm cool with it all. Just don't crusade and don't do that. That's fine. And like always, you know what I mean? Mm. Like, let's just all come to agreement that over the last 2000 years, be it one side going charging through the west or the other ones charging through the east or them going through the south. You all did dumb shit, right? So go ahead. Do what you want, man. You want to bow 11 times facing east? Go for it. Just don't blow anything up. And if you want to, like, sip a wafer and a, a little bit of water, go for it. But just, like, don't stop ladies having abortions in Texas, right? Like, it's just stay the fuck out of the way, and I think all religions would be fine. Uh, I don't know where that tangent came from other than, I don't know. What's the best religious cover you've ever seen? Ooh. Um, would be uh, Holy Spirit Activate. Not by the Holy Rollers or something? <laughs> no? I don't know. 2022 is fun and all. <laughs> it's coming out like gangbusters i'm just looking back it's i'm trying not to look think about it (laughs) oh i know that's i get it like you're you know what you got the right idea jb i'm gonna leave it with this like you got the right idea it's time to start looking back 
Um, because to look forward right now makes no, like, yeah. Imagine two years ago, looking two years into the future. We all were. You wouldn't have fought. Right? Like, you, we, didn't, we weren't picturing this. We were picturing Mai Tais on, like, fucking crystal sandy beaches. Um, burning masks in the bonfire and giggling. But here we are. And so why? Why look forward when you can look back to when you used to sit at the bar and tell people about how Trent Reznor wrote Hurt. (laughs) That's a great segue to the ending of our podcast. There we go. Uh, You guys check out um, out our website this time, cyctpod.com. Go listen to some of my favorite covers and uh, let us know what you think. I hope you guys have a great week. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you soon. See you later, folks. Shovel those driveways if you haven't already. Don't shovel it onto the road. (laughs) No, yeah. Keep the sidewalks clear. There's a lot going on out there. Thanks, guys. Yep.